have been talking about the church. If you've been connecting with us, if you've been here, you know, that's been the topic really since the, uh, the end of last year. We've been talking about the church. We've been talking how the church can prevail, how the church can succeed. And to encourage to that end, to be a church that is succeeding, we have been looking at what the early church did. We've been in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and we have been aiming to apply this. Do what the church has done since the church first did it. It's just go back to the basics in, in essence. Let's go look at what was, what was happening in that early church and the believers in the early church, the members of the early church, they were they were gathering together. They were praying. Uh, the members were living together. They were sharing their possessions. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And they were staying true to the heart of God. They were staying true to the gospel. They weren't following the heart of man. They were expressing the love of Jesus, the, the boundless love of Jesus. They were expressing his kindness, and his compassion, yet they were not compromising. They were not afraid to point out sin. They weren't afraid to call sin, sin. They were never calling what is evil, righteous. And that was because the power of the grace of the gospel, the Holy Spirit had filled them, their hearts had been touched, and their lives were changed. And we spoke last week about that powerful transformation, the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when these people had been touched, they looked at life in a totally and a completely different way. All things were new. We touched on the Roman jailer who welcomed the prisoners, Jews, into his own home and he fed them this type of hospitality and generosity. It was abounding. Believers shared with one another. They excelled in this, what Paul wrote, the grace of giving. And again, it was the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the gospel to transform lives. And we saw that abundant that abundant grace and how transformative it was. And this morning, we're going to continue on this theme of the church, and we're going to consider one church as an example. And it's the church in the city of Ephesus. This is a church that gives us an example of how quickly a church can be successful, and yet as soon as that might happen, there begins this decay, a falling away. And so today, uh, today I'll just say it's admittedly a challenging message. And I, I want to say before we just dive into it, I do, do my best. I try to go before God every single week, and my prayer is always this, Lord, what would you have me give your people this week? Please, Lord, just help me. Help me to that end. And for whatever reason, and, and, and I'm not given to hearing voices, 
I'll just say it. When the Holy Spirit impresses something on my heart, I, I, I say thank you. And I just was getting this Ephesus, was getting pressed in. And uh, on Tuesday, I had written some things down. And then Wednesday night, there uh, in a, our uh, service and where we take time to hear a message and then discuss it on Wednesday evening, uh, our elder John Jones is talking about Ephesus. He's talking about how well they did, how how they had done well so, so quickly. And I was just saying, Lord, all right, all right, this is where we're going. I'm, I, I'm gonna be touching on this church in Ephesus, but also a warning, a warning they received from Jesus because, yeah, they started strong, but their foundation began to just, shake a little bit, they, they began to slip, they began to fall, and we wanna look at the warning of Jesus and how to get back on a firm footing. So today, Ephesus is our example. This is where we're going, and before we get into the word of God, just a little bit, we need a little bit of context, a little background on what the city of Ephesus was in the first century, and a little bit about the church. So in the first century, Ephesus, uh, it was an important Roman city. It was a wealthy city. It was uh, situated in the western part of the province of Asia, Asia Minor. It's now modern-day Turkey. And it was inland, but really close to a port. And by canal and river, they, they had a port. They, some call them a port town, even though they were a bit inland. Uh, there was a lot of commerce in the city of Ephesus because it was also the crossroads of uh, some important trade routes, and Ephesus was also a destination city. So there was their economy driven by people who would travel there. And the reason people traveled there was because in the city of Ephesus was this huge temple, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple of the goddess Artemis. Now, well, this was a pagan goddess uh, that the Romans honored. And Artemis was said to be the goddess of hunting, the wilderness, wild animals, and the goddess of childbirth and preserving women, especially unmarried women, virgin women. So I, I, I don't really know all the the mythology behind why these gods and goddesses were, were such. But this was the goddess Artemis. And that temple was a place that was, people would come. They've made pilgrimages to honor this, this goddess in the city of Ephesus, which was a pretty large city at the time, perhaps about 200,000 people, many Greeks, many Romans in the city. But there was also a settlement of Jews Acts chapter 18 gives us a record of Paul, the apostle, passing through Ephesus. He goes to the synagogue. He stops. He, he speaks to the Jews there, but he didn't stick around. And this is perhaps the early 50s of the first century, maybe 50, maybe 51. Paul didn't stay. He was on his way to Jerusalem. So he continued on to Jerusalem and 
Acts 18 tells us he left behind his friends, Priscilla and Aquila, and then they met up with a guy named Apollos, and evidently they stayed in Ephesus evangelizing the people because well, Paul came back. And when he came back, he, he bumped into some people that he identified as disciples. And he prayed for them. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized. They had just, they, they, they were disciples. They just hadn't heard of the baptism of, uh, in the name of Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was a couple years later. So maybe it's, maybe it's still early 50s, maybe 53, 54. Now Paul's come back to Ephesus. He stays for two years, maybe a little bit more. He was preaching, he was teaching, uh, he, he rented a place where he could do that. He firmly established the church in this city. And the church became so strong, we read about uh, the silversmiths who they made a living selling these little images of Artemis, the goddess, and they were upset. The, the silversmith named Demetrius, he's recorded as being uptight. Hey, listen, we get a, a strong income from these little silver things. And this Christianity thing has touched Ephesus. And Demetrius complained it, it hit the whole province of Asia. The grace of Jesus was being poured out. The Holy Spirit was moving. There were powerful miracles happening in the city of Ephesus. And... The, the church was taking root, and they were strong. They were strong, even though they were immersed in this pagan culture, surrounded by idol worshipers. The church was strong. Paul wrote to them perhaps 10 years later. So now we're about the early 60s, maybe 62 he wrote to the Ephesians, and he commended their faith. He commended their love. He said, You're, you are believers that are holy, and you're faithful. And he was grateful. He's, he's right, and I thank God for your faith and for your love. They had done well. And the letter to the Ephesians encouraged Keep going, stay firm, stay strong. Persevere in your walk with Christ. And the closing line, the closing line of the letter to the Ephesians, I wanna share it with you. Ephesians chapter six, verse 24, the last line. Paul's writing his farewell and he writes, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. That is beautiful. What a church to be commended for their undying love of Christ. 10 years of church, 10 years strong, exemplifying undying love for Jesus. And yet a few years later, a few years later, Paul's writing to his friend Timothy, and he expressed some concern, concern for the Ephesian church. 
He shares it openly with his friend right from the jump. 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes a couple verses, as, as was his custom, Paul, an apostle of uh, Christ to Timothy, etc. first couple verses. Verse 3, this is the beginning of the letter. Seems he's, he, he's hurting, he's a little concerned. And he writes to Timothy, this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, and, and this is perhaps just a couple of years or so after he's written this great letter to the Ephesians about their undying love. He writes to Timothy. As I urged you, Timothy, when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. (laughs) False doctrines have somehow creeped into the church. Or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. Paul's writing about the people in Ephesus. He's writing about the church in Ephesus to his friend, and there seems to be a concern. Right here in the opening lines, this is, this is at the jump, he's expressing this concern. Timothy, Timothy, I, I asked you to stay there in Ephesus because of these things, false doctrines, controversial speculations, devotion to myths, meaningless talk. This has crept into the Ephesian church. And all of it is hindering. It's hindering. It's not helping. It's hindering the advancement of God's work. Where's the kingdom work with all this meaningless talk that's going on? There is concerns for the church. And this isn't the only place. Paul's expressed this concern for the church in Ephesus. There's another New Testament letter that expresses concern for the church and brings a warning And that letter's the final letter. It's the letter of Revelation. And we're gonna touch on the the end of Revelation 1 and the start of chapter 2. When was this letter written? How soon after maybe Paul wrote to Timothy? There's various opinions about when Revelation was written. I find evidence compelling that that Revelation was written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70. I believe it was written soon after Paul wrote his letter to Timothy, maybe a few years after that. And, And in that letter of Revelation, which John the Apostle wrote, John had received a revelation from Jesus, and he sent that revelation to seven churches, Seven churches in Asia Minor, beginning with Ephesus. And if you look on a map and you read the cities in order, they just follow the road. They follow the road through the western part of Asia Minor there, the seven churches. Paul's, or John's writing to them. This, this revelation that he received 
And it, it's a letter, as I said. He, John opens his letter, and he tells the people, hey, I've heard directly from Jesus. He's given me a vision. And I need to tell you what soon will take place. Verse number one. And, and then he repeats it in verse three. For the time is near. There seems to be some importance here, some significance that something is gonna happen really soon. And for those who received that letter, imagine yourself in the city of Ephesus. You received this letter from John. And in the opening, the salutation, is a dear church, I received this letter, or I received this revelation from Jesus. And he's told me of things that are coming soon. For the time is near. You know, I wonder, would that get your attention? Would that capture your attention? I'm thinking it would capture their attention. And they're gonna be inspired. I better read this thing. I better get through this. I better read it completely and thoroughly because John just told me, Jesus, Jesus told him something's happening soon and the time is near. And after John's greeting, the remainder of that first chapter of Revelation, it describes a vision that John beholds of Jesus. And Jesus is standing in the midst of seven gold lampstands. And there's this beautiful, glorious de depiction and description of, of Jesus. And, and it is glorious and stunning. And John writes that in his right hand, there are seven stars. The intensity of the vision is so powerful, John falls down as if dead. That's how he describes it. I fell as if dead at the feet of Jesus. But Jesus touches him, and he lifts him up, and he explains the vision. The final verse of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1.20, Jesus explaining to John. He says, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven gold lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Now, John described seeing these lampstands and stars, but this isn't something that we should receive literally, as if Jesus is in heaven uh, with, with lampstands and stars in his hand. It's not literal because Jesus explained it. These are figures. They're figures that mean something. They represent something, and Jesus explained it. The lampstands represent the church. The church is a light. The church is a light. This, this fits perfect. And there's seven of them. Well, because this message is gonna go to seven churches in order. And there's also seven stars. And Jesus said, these are the messengers. These are the angels. And that's, that's what the word means, the word angel. And, and in some English translations of the Bible, you'll read messengers. The seven stars are the messengers of the churches. It's the, the Greek word angelos. And we say angelus. Angels, messengers. And some take this to be the messengers that literally delivered the letter to the churches. 
Others say, well, it's the, it's the pastor. It's the bishop of the church. The one who's the, the, the messenger of God to the church. But it's not a heavenly angel. And that becomes clear to us just as we read the very next lines of Revelation. That these, these, these messengers are here and they're to bring the message. So let's get into the very next verse. It's Revelation chapter uh, 2. And we're going to read the first seven verses. Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7, here's the message. It begins to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So the first message is to the first church on the map, which is Ephesus, to the angel or the messenger of that church. Jesus is saying this to John, to the angel or the messenger of the church in Ephesus, write. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and walks among the seven golden lampstands. So these are the words of Jesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered, and you have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. I wanna stop right here just for a minute. That sounds amazing. That is fabulous. And it parallels some of what Paul was writing to the Ephesians in his letter. But this is even better. This is a commendation from Jesus himself. Now, what church would not want to hear this? This is fabulous. It's better than what they had heard from Paul. Man, you're doing great, Jesus is saying. You're working hard. You're kicking out the false prophets. You are enduring hardship. You are staying strong. Man, Jesus, bring that word to us. Bring that to our church. But there's more. I mean, that initial commendation, it's so uplifting, but there's more. Jesus continued. Verse number four. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Whoever has ears. You have ears this morning. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This message was directed straight to the church in Ephesus. They're named. It's pointed directly to them. But we have an encouragement here that we should all hear. Whoever has ears should consider this. And that's us. And what is the message? And wow, first for the church in Ephesus, it's so great. High praise, a commendation from Christ himself. It's so uplifting. And every single church would welcome it, of course. But then there's this 
Then there's this awful, awful indictment. I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. I see here what Jesus is employing is it's, it's what we call the sandwich approach. It's kind of a tactic where you say some really nice things, then you say some hard things, then you end with some nice things again. Jesus employed this little sandwich approach because this very difficult saying that he had, you've fallen, and you've fallen far, he followed up with a nice positive. Uh, He commended the Ephesians again. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And who were they? Who were these Nicolaitans? Well, we, we don't really know for sure exactly. They're mentioned a couple of times. Uh, if we look to some of the early Greek writers, they give us an idea that these Nicolaitans were, um, they were encouraging self-indulgence, sexual immorality, under some false idea that lust, our lust, the lust of the flesh, they are, well, they're, they're what God gave you. You know, God gave you those, those passions and those desires so you can exercise them, it's okay. And, you know, that's just not true. And Jesus said, I, I hate their practices. You Ephesians do too. So that was another commendation. So I got the first, you're doing great. We got the end, you, you hate what I hate. But that middle part, we gotta deal with it. We can't ignore it. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. What happened? What happened to the undying love? What happened to the undying love of this church? Paul's commending them for their undying love. What had happened? This Ephesian church, approaching maybe 20 years, 20 years And if you say, well, Revelation was written after the fall of Jerusalem, well, maybe the church is 40 years old. It's still relatively young. Either way, it's a young church. What is going on? What happened to the undying love? They had started strong. But they had forsaken what they had at first. And I want to ask the question, could that happen to us? Could that happen to any one of us? Now, this was a church commended for being strong, for not tolerating sin, for persevering, for enduring for the name of Jesus, yet having forsaken their first love. Has it happened to any one of us? I know the church is, you know, we can say the church is one, we can talk about the church as a whole, but the church is comprised of each one of us. The church of Ephesus was comprised of individuals. And I want us to consider this passage this morning as individuals, as individual members of the church. I want us to consider the question in our own heart Have we forsaken the love that we first had? What was it like 
when you turned to Jesus? What was it like? Now, I think some of us had an experience like the Ephesians. You know, they were in this pagan culture, and suddenly they were just pulled out of it. They were converted to Jesus. They heard the gospel. It, it was this warmth to their heart. The gospel pierced their hearts, and they had this sudden and wonderful and beautiful turn and change. Acts chapter 19 records some of the, some of the things that were going on that were just marvelous and amazing. Sorcerers, people that had practiced witchcraft and, and, and magic and all these arts that are demonic, turned to Christ. They burned their books. They burned their spell books. If you read that passage, it, it says they were worth a lot like 50,000 drachma, which in today's, today's uh, economy is like five or six million bucks that these people burned up. Why? Because they came to Jesus. This is how tremendous their transformation was. This was their first love. They're like, we're getting this witchcraft and this stuff behind us, and we're not dealing with it again. We're gonna burn this stuff. Sudden conversions. Marvelous, beautiful and maybe that was your story. You just turned to Christ. And you, were, you were in some, you know, surrounded by the culture, whatever, and you heard the gospel and you're like, yes, I'm going there. It pierced your heart. You know, but then some of us have a different story. We come to Jesus slowly. It's not a sudden conversion. It's kind of a plodding along, if you will, a process that might take years. And then ultimately a yielding and a turning and and I'll say that's kind of my story. Despite my parents and dragging me by the ear to church and, and telling me what was right and you're gonna take this catechism class or else. Yeah, I was still rebellious. And it took me a while. It, 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 it took me till I was, was in my late 20s despite my parents trying as hard as they could Took me time to fully and completely turn to Jesus and say, yes, I'm done. And whether our coming to Jesus is fast or whether it's slow, whether we're young or whether we're old, and we can think back to that love we had at first. I can think back to the time where I finally said, yes, and things did change. And, and I, for me, I, I wanted more of the word of God. I wanted to explore it. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to dig into it. What about you? What was it for you? What was the thing that just lit you up about coming to Jesus? Was it a love to share the gospel? I mean, were you one of those people that just got on fire and you're gonna tell everyone, man, I gotta tell you what happened to me. I gotta tell you so you are there in the kingdom of, of heaven with me. You know, was it a love to pray? Did you join a prayer group? Were you praying on your own? Did you realize you could go in the closet and just pray or, or get with others and, and pray? Did you start praying out loud? I know that's for some people. They're like, I never prayed out loud, but I love it. I'm getting together with people and we're praying. Was it a love to gather together like we did this morning? Like, I need to be in the church. I need to worship God. I need to learn some more of these songs. I want to worship Jesus. I want to I sing to him. Was that what it was? Was that your first love? 
Was it a, was it a love like uh, to give this, this idea of hospitality, opening your doors to strangers, just this idea, the grace of giving, this overflowing, like I'm giving it all away like those believers in Acts chapter 2. Was it a love to help? Did you just, some people, they, 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 they get saved, they're converted, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're like, what can I do? Where can I work here? I want to serve. Was that what it was for you? Did you want to serve? Did you want to serve the kingdom? Was it like, I can't get it, I got to find the place where I can just, where my hands can be working, because I got to serve the kingdom of God. I mean, maybe for you it was something totally different. Maybe it was one, two, or three of these things that I mentioned. But I think we can all look back. We can all look back to those days and say, yes, that is what I first loved when I turned to Jesus. You had a love, you had a burning passion for those things. Has that burning passion cooled down? Was it, was it a blazing fire that's now just like a couple of embers? Or is it totally burned out? Now I know that we can remain strong. We can stand firm against sin. We can persevere. You know, even as those, those early first Christians had a passion for Jesus. Like we read about this church of Ephesian, uh, of the Ephesians and we can do all these things and yet that, that powerful love that we had, that burning desire can begin to cool down and even burn out. We can get distracted by the cares of life. You know, Paul, when he wrote to the Ephesians, he seemed concerned Something was going on. Something's happening in that church. There were some distractions, and he wrote about them. The things that we read. Devotion to myths. Meaningless talk. Promoting controversial speculations. You know, we deal with the same things, all of us. I'll say it's another presidential election year. You know what? The myths and the meaningless talk and the controversial speculations, they've already begun. They've already begun. Yeah, do your best to be informed. I'm not saying to anybody, step outside, uh, you know, cloister yourself. No, be informed, of course. And you can be passionate and patriotic about your civil liberties and your civic duty. Absolutely. But don't let it distract you to the point that your passion for Jesus begins to wane and that first love begins to burn out. Is it distracting you from, from doing the work of the kingdom, advancing God's work? You know, is it is a passion for, for politicians and party just plowing over your passion for Christ? Don't let it be. Don't let it be. Again, we can be informed. We can be good citizens. Well, let's, let's burn for Jesus. You know, there are other controversial speculations we deal with in our culture. You, you know what we call them? We don't call them controversial speculations. We call them conspiracy theories. You ever hear of a conspiracy theory? You know, conspiracy theories abound. They're all over the place. Man, they can wrap us up. They get us all worked up. 
Uh, it's conspiracy theories. It, all the pandemic full of conspiracy theories. Politics, prophecy, the weather, the w- climate, all of it, whatever. Pick your favorite conspiracy theory. I know we all got them. And they get us wound up. They get us into this meaningless talk, controversial speculations, and they are a distraction from the kingdom of God. And we can all be distracted. We can all be distracted by these things. I know in my own case, I remember a time where I was distracted. And you know what? I'm gonna say, I can't even remember what it was that had me in a funk. And just, my, my attention was off. And it was focused in the wrong place. I, I'm not even sure what it was. I can't remember. But I remember this. I'm sitting at my desk. And in walks Julie into, into the room. She takes a piece of paper. She takes a piece of paper. She goes like this. Read this. I think that's what she said. If she said anything, that's what it was. Read this. Kind of got my attention. And uh, what did she put in front of me? But my very own words. Words I had written at that time where I'd turned my life to Jesus. Even though it took me a long time. Even though for about 10 years I just went out and did my own thing. When I'd finally come to Jesus, I was baptized, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I started getting passionate for, for Jesus. I wrote it down. And I wrote down my story. And here I'm in a funk or distracted. Read this. And I read it. And I, I called to mind that first love. That first love. It hit me like a ton of bricks. But now what? Now what do I do? What do I do? Well, Jesus said it plainly. Repent. Repent and do the things you did at first. And that's what I had to do. That's what I had to do. If we're gonna be a church that does what the church did when the church first did it, we gotta be individuals who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And what, what's the Spirit saying? Repent and do the things you did at first. I mean, those were just a few words of Jesus. And they're not trivial. They're vital, they're critical, they're important. Jesus emphasized the importance because he followed on. And he said, if you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. And what's the lampstand? Well, Jesus had explained that, hadn't he? The lampstand is the church. What's he saying? If you don't repent, there's gonna be one less lampstand. There's gonna be one less church. And those are, 
Those are some sobering words. This decay from distraction, it can begin so subtly. Even even when we're saying, oh, I'm not gonna tolerate sin. I'm not gonna let that in. I'm gonna hate what the Nicolaitans are doing, but yet the decay is happening. Yet yet the, the passion's burning out and the falling away is beginning. The turning to meaningless talk and and controversial speculations to conspiracy theories and all that and that decay. What's Jesus saying? It can lead to death. It can lead to the death of the church. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You know, I feel like that should get everyone's attention. And I'll say it's gotten mine. It gets my attention. And I need to take to heart the words of Jesus. Repent and do the things you did at first. I'll be the first to say, help me. You know, help me, Lord. Help me cast my cares. Help me cast my burdens. Help me cast the meaningless talk, the the controversial speculations, the conspiracy theories, the, the things that are trying to suck me in and get me distracted and take me away from that first love. Oh, help me find the way. Help me find the way. Bring me back to that first love. I, I want to be the first to confess it. I've had, I've had distractions. You know, I, I, think I, I think I need another dose of read this. Just read it. Get back to that. I don't, I, I'm not speaking for you. I'm speaking for me. I, I need, I need to do that need to get back. I need to do, I need a dose of that. Read this. And if you do, if you do, I'm just going to invite you to lay it down today. If, if there have been distractions, if there are things that have been pulling you back, if you've taken a moment today to consider, you know, what was it like when you were just, you, you, you came to Christ and, you know, there's that burning passion in you. Does it begin, is it, is it toned down to just a little flicker? Today, turn it, let's, let's say in our own hearts, if we need to, Lord, I repent, I, need, I repent. Bring me back to you. Bring me back to my first love. Now, I'm gonna invite you, if you wanna stand and come down, I'm coming down to this altar because I, I just wanna do that. And you can stay at your seat and come to these altars. But I wanna take a few, a few minutes and just, in my heart, you do it in yours. God, help us with that every single day, every single moment. Draw us close to you. Never let us go. Remind us, God, of those first moments, those first days, that first love. Keep our hearts in tune with that. God, that we may be the ones who are victorious, given the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Thank you, Lord. Give us Give us that undying love, that undying love for you and for your ways, God, may it be for every single one of us. And God, help us and remind us on those days where we need to repent. Thank you for the warning of Jesus. Thank you for his loving compassion. Thank you that he would remind us and he would tell us and he would commend us for the things we're doing well and staying strong, but warn us and help us and discipline us and get us back where we need to be. Thank you for that, God. Bless 
every single heart here today with that. May they carry away Jesus in the cross today and always keep it in front of them. And may the flame of his love and the fire of the Holy Spirit burn, burn brightly, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.